check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti. This podcast is for physicians who take care of patients with serious illnesses like cancer, dementia, advanced renal, cardiac, or neurologic disease. We are all about patient and family well-being, but also medical team and physician well-being. You'll learn things to help you heal your patients and yourself, and I am really glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I am Dr. Delia Caramonti. Today, we're going to talk about the difference between sadness and depression. You have probably had this experience where you have a patient, you're walking into the exam room, and something difficult comes up in the conversation, or you have to give bad news, and they're crying. How can you tell when a patient is crying if it's sadness or if it's depression? Is it about how long they're crying? What if next time they come back, they're crying again? What if they're not crying, but they're just kind of flat? How can you tell if it's depression or if it's sadness? And what's the difference and how do we treat them differently? That's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, so let's talk big picture first. What is the difference between depression and sadness? Sadness is a normal human emotion. It is mostly around loss, loss of a person, loss of a beloved pet, loss of a job or a home or a marriage or even a body part if you've had a breast removed or a limb removed. Sometimes it's a loss of identity. If you used to be a CEO and now you're retired, that could make a person feel sad. It doesn't mean that they're depressed, but maybe their identity, who they are, what makes them who they are is so different now that it feels like a loss or a grief. Grief is uber sadness, but we can have sadness from even small losses, like an expectation. You thought you were going to go to the concert and then it gets canceled. That can make you sad. That's a loss. Mostly sadness is a normal human emotion around loss. Depression, of course, is completely different. Now, you can have a sad or depressed mood as part of depression, but it's a whole lot more than that, of course. Depression tends to be heavy, dark. It's hard to find the good in things that even felt good before. You may have memorized Sig E caps as the diagnostic criteria for depression. I'll just remind you what those are. Sleep a decreased interest in things that used to be interesting before, guilt, that's the SIG, E is decreased energy, CAPS is decreased concentration, changes in appetite, which can be either increased appetite or decreased appetite, psychomotor changes, and that can go in either direction too. So people can be kind of slow and not moving much, or they can have an agitated depression and, and be tapping their foot and, you know, walking all around the room. And the last S is for suicidal ideation. So Siggy caps and people who have five or more of these diagnostic criteria for more than two weeks meet criteria for depression. But if you want to do a down and dirty, get a vibe of whether someone is sad or depressed, probably anhedonia is the thing that really separates the two. So if you're sad about a loss of some sort, but then something 
happens that you tend to really enjoy. So you love doing woodworking and your friend comes over and the two of you start doing woodworking together, you will enjoy that activity if you're sad. But if you are depressed, even things that were fun before are no longer fun. So if somebody who adores their grandchildren and you say, oh, imagine for me that your grandchildren were coming over today, how would you feel? And if they just are like, you know what? I don't care. And that's different for them. That is a huge red flag for depression. So ask people, what do you normally like to do? Like other times of your life, a year ago, six months ago, what did you like to do? And then ask them, when you think about doing that thing now, how do you feel? And if they say, oh, yeah, you know, when I go out with my friends, I love going shopping and we go to lunch and it's really fun. And then when I get home, I cry because I miss my loved one. That person's sad, not depressed. But if they say, you know what, I just don't care anymore. I used to love to play tennis. I don't care. I used to love to play with my dog. I don't want to anymore. That person, I have concern for depression. So anhedonia is the one you want to always make sure that you ask about because that is the thing that's going to make you think about depression where you might otherwise miss it. And if it's absent, you can feel more relieved that it's probably not depression, more likely to be sadness. Okay, so what do we do about people who are depressed or people who are sad? So of course, you know, there are lots of treatments for depression, including medications, of course, SSRIs and SNRIs are the, right now, probably the most commonly used medications for depression. Sometimes people don't want to take meds and they're more interested in dietary supplements. The supplements that you might consider for depression include St. John's wort, although there is a fair amount of concern about St. John's wort that it has some interactions with medications because it's a little closer to an SSRI than um, some of the other supplements that people use for depression. You might hesitate about that one a little bit, but if you really think someone ought to be on an SSRI or SNRI and they just refuse, they're not interested in a med, but they really need it, suggesting that they try St. John's wort is something that you could consider. And I have had patients in the past who refused to take a medication, but I really thought they needed one. I got them to take St. John's wort and they really started to feel better. It's kind of like mini Prozac or a mini SSRI. And so the patients, once they started to feel better, and I said, hey, you know, if you feel better on St. John's Ward, if we change you to an SSRI, you probably really will get yourself back. You'll feel even better. And I have had people agree to take meds after seeing that St. John's Ward made them feel somewhat better. But another option, if you don't want to use St. John's Ward, is SAMe, S-A-M-E. SAMe is quite safe overall, and it it's a, probably less powerful for some people than St. John's wort, but it can make a difference. And I have had a fair amount of patients who were completely uninterested in taking a medicine, but were willing to try a supplement, try SAMe, and found that it made a significant difference in their mood. And then the other thing to think about is vitamin D, because low vitamin D has been associated with depression. And so since it's a fairly safe supplement as well, and many people are vitamin D deficient anyway, if somebody has depression, it's not unreasonable for them to take vitamin D. To be most precise, you would check their vitamin D level first. Now, the lab levels will sometimes say that a level of 20 or 30 is normal. In the complementary medicine world, uh, people tend to think that 50 to 80 is normal. So even if it's normal by the standard lab 
but say it's 40, it would still be reasonable to give somebody vitamin D. There are many different kinds of counseling, of course, that can be very helpful. And when you look at efficacy of treatment for depression, counseling alone is about as good as meds alone, but the two together are better than either one alone. It is important, though, to know that the kind of counseling where someone talks about how bad their day was and a supportive person just listens, that's actually not found to be helpful for depression. And in some cases, it can make people feel worse because people who are depressed tend to have kind of glass half empty glasses and they can just talk about how terrible everything is for an hour and then leave feeling worse than when they came. So there are specific counseling techniques that are evidence supported for depression, including probably the most well-known is cognitive behavioral therapy. And you can send somebody to a therapist to get true cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a great idea. But there are also techniques that you can learn yourself about how to use some of these techniques with a patient in the office. So that's one option, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. MBCT, or mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, can also be very helpful. And it uses some of those same cognitive techniques and adds some mindfulness techniques, which are helpful for depression, but also anxiety reduction. ACT, which is acceptance commitment therapy, has also been shown to be beneficial for depression, as has DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy. DBT was initially used for people with borderline personality disorder, but really, Part of the the central core of DBT is learning to tolerate discomfort, and people who are depressed have discomfort, emotional discomfort. They feel terrible. And so DBT is actually very helpful for depression and anxiety as well. An important component to add to some of those counseling techniques is self-compassion. And the idea of self-compassion is that we are so mean to ourselves, and we beat ourselves up And particularly if you're in a depressed state, you may think about all the things that are wrong with you and how unlovable you are and how you could have been better, but gosh, you messed everything up. And the idea of self-compassion is to intentionally speak to ourselves and give loving energy to ourselves in the way we would to a beloved friend. So the way we would talk to somebody else and say, oh, you can do it. I'm sorry you're having a hard time. You're so great. I love you. You're a really special person. That same way we would talk to someone else we love, that we practice turning that message on ourselves, self-compassion. And then exercise is evidence-supported for depression. Now, when people are really in a funk, It's hard to start with exercise, but if they're willing, if there's things they like, if maybe even dancing, like turning on peppy music that they love and having them dance around their house, that kind of exercise and movement is something that they might want to start with. If you have somebody who's depressed and you say, well, I know that exercise is evidence supportive for depression, and you tell them they have to go to the gym for 45 minutes, five days a week, and that's not their habit, they're they're probably not going to be able to do that. And then they'll just beat up on themselves for not following your instructions. So look for ways when you're talking to people about exercise, maybe even not to call it that if exercise has a negative connotation for them and instead call it movement and look for different ways that they can move that will be positive and accessible to them. As I said, dancing, swimming, if they like that, taking the dog for a walk, playing with their grandkids, just ways to move their body. Other things that are evidence supported for depression include acupuncture. And in some studies, actually, acupuncture was as 
beneficial as an SSRI for the treatment of depression. And SSRI plus acupuncture was better than SSRI alone. So acupuncture is something you could add. If someone is tremendously depressed, I wouldn't just do acupuncture. I would recommend a medication plus some form of therapy, plus some form of movement um, and add acupuncture to that. But also meditation, guided imagery, all have evidence of benefit for depression too, again, as adjuncts to the things we talked about before. Now, what about sadness? Probably the number one thing to say, which is obvious, of course, but people make this mistake, is that sadness should not be treated with an SSRI, right? You know that, of course you know that. But there are people who go to the doctor's office and cry a couple times because they've had a loss or life is crummy or they're, you know, they've gotten to middle age and they're really dissatisfied with the choices that they made and they're grieving the loss of their youth or grieving the loss of their sense of self or they have a friend who died or they lost a friendship or they're grieving the loss of closeness in their relationship with their spouse. And sometimes they end up on an SSRI. And I am aware that there are studies that show that SSRIs are not beneficial. But here's my personal opinion. My personal opinion is because I have seen tremendous benefit from SSRIs in some people, I think that some of the studies that are looking at SSRIs are including people who are sad because not everybody who goes to their doctor's office and cries needs an SSRI. So I, my personal opinion this is just Delia's opinion, is that we don't always as a group do a perfect job of figuring out who's sad and who's depressed, which is exactly why I'm talking about this today. Okay, so people who are sad, but not depressed, obviously don't need medication. They certainly do benefit from counseling, same things that we talked about before, CBT, MBCT, ACT, DBT, self-compassion, they certainly benefit from exercise. So how do we deal with sad? Sad is hard, right? Because sad is a normal emotion. So on the one hand, we want to allow it. On the other hand, we want to not get stuck there. So part of the process of managing sadness is a little bit of feeling it, but then having the self-command to move away from the the sadness stuck place into a different state of being. Depending, of course, on where a person is in this process, if they've just lost a loved one very recently, they're going to spend a lot of time being sad about this loss. And that's normal and appropriate. And mostly what we do is validate them, look for ways to get support in their life, make sure that they're functioning okay, that they can sleep, that they can eat, that they're not at risk of hurting themselves, etc. But for most people who haven't had a, a huge acute loss, a balance between feeling it and then stopping and moving on is important. And one of the techniques that I have found particularly helpful to mention to patients is a timer. If somebody is you know, feels like, gosh, I start crying and I just, I I can't stop. I don't know what to do. You can ask them, how long do you think you need? When you get into that space and you're really feeling the, you know, the loss of that job, how long do you feel like you need to feel it? And they'll know. People can almost always answer that question. Maybe they say, 15 minutes. I need 15 minutes. Okay, great. So if you find that you're starting to get really choked up and you have the space in your life to do it, 
what is your place that you're going to go to? So I'll go to my bedroom. Okay, great. So go to your bedroom and sit in that special chair that you have and set a timer for 15 minutes. And in that 15 minutes, don't try not to feel it. Just feel it. Just feel it. Just cry if you need to cry. Scream if you need to scream. Just feel those feelings until the timer goes off. And when that timer goes off, though, it's time for a new state, a new physical state. So when that timer goes off, you want to do something physical to get yourself in a new place. And that could be, I go into the bathroom and I put water on my face and then I'm going to go for a walk. Or it could be that you take a shower, or it could be that you do a meditation, or it could be that you do a handstand, or it could be that you rub your hands together really fast, or you push against the wall, or it could be that you run up and down the stairs three times. So it's important to have a clear end to the allowing all of the feelings part, and then a different physical state to help you get out of that spot into back into your regular day. So what you're shooting for is a mix between allowing the feelings, but then having an end point and not getting swept away from the feelings and having a clear physical change for you to get back into your regular life. And then as you are more able, you can allow some of the good memories of that thing that you've lost to come back in. So in the beginning, when there's a loss, no matter what it is, person or a or a situation, it feels very painful to think about it. But after a while, you, when you're able, you want to invite back like, oh, remember that time we went out together at work and we had that really amazing crab feast. In the beginning, you don't have to force positive feelings, but what you're shooting for is enough self-command so that you don't get swept away in your feelings so that you can allow some of the good memories to come back in. Now, obviously, we know that time does make this easier. So you may not, in the beginning, if you have a loss and are sad about something, be able to allow those good feelings in right away. No problem. Let some time pass. It becomes easier. In the really acute times when it's really, really painful, healthy distractions are fine. Ideally, it's not unhealthy things like alcohol or gambling or drugs or food, but distractions like music or watching things on TV or calling a friend, all of those are appropriate and sometimes useful healthy distractions within reason. Rituals can really help us with a sadness or a loss. So when my beloved dog died, I got a very small picture of him and I do multimedia art and I made an art piece of him. And that was really healing for me in the beginning to make it. And then also I put it up where I could see it. And when I missed him, I would go look at that and I would feel feelings about it. But over time, when I look at it, I can think of the funny times and the good times that that we had with him as part of our family. So rituals are important. And that ritual could be artistic, if that's your thing, like it was for me. It could be writing down feelings and then coloring over them or writing down feelings and tearing them up. It could be a prayer. It could be a song. It could be anything that feels like it honors the thing or the person that you miss. Sharing it is really important. So if there are people that you can share your sadness or your loss with, great, do that. But sometimes there aren't or people don't show up for you the way that you want them to. And that's okay too. You can share with animals in your life. You can share in the shower with yourself. You can speak it out loud. You can share in a journal. You can share in an online community. So sharing somehow, even if it's just with yourself, either out loud or in a journal is really important. And then 
when you're ready, positive reframing can be helpful. And that I think we've talked about before is this idea of, I don't like blank, but at least blank. So I don't like that that job didn't work out, but at least I have wonderful people in my life. The idea there being when we're sad about something because we've had a loss of some kind, intentionally looking for the positive, intentionally looking for the flowers in the poop is important for us when we're ready. That isn't something that you can push, but it is something that over time becomes part of the psychological growth that can come from sadness. Okay. So of course, you will never use an SSRI for people who are sad, but not depressed. What I want for you is that you're so clear on the difference. When you see somebody who has sad emotions, I want it to be so clear in your head. They are depressed or they are not depressed. They have a sadness and a loss we need to manage, or that's not it. It really is depression and they need medication. So practice as you see people who have strong emotions, getting a sense of, do you think it's more like depression? Do you think it's more like sadness? That's what I want for you is to be so clear on whether a person that you're seeing is depressed or sad. And for yourself, I want you to think this week, this is your homework, about specific processes for managing your own sadness. And it doesn't have to be a big sadness. Sometimes there's just little things, a little thing didn't work out. You hoped you would make it to the conference, but the train was late and you didn't make it, whatever. Think about this idea of self-command, meaning you intentionally allow yourself to feel your feelings for a little while, and then you make a stop time and you have some change in your physical state that brings you back into your regular life. And think about sharing your feelings, either with a person, with an animal, with your journal, with yourself in the house out loud when no one's there or in the shower. And once again, because I love this thing so very much, practice reframing. I don't like blank, but at least blank. So I just want you to play around with your own sad feelings this week. If you're really lucky and you have no sad feelings at all this week, that's fabulous. See if you can use some of these techniques with the people in your life who may be experiencing sadness. And that counts also for children. Like if a child is really sad about something, you could say, hey, you know, let's pull out the timer. Let's set it for five minutes and you're going to be really sad for five minutes. But then when the timer goes off, then we're going to go play with the trains. Okay, that's your homework for the week. Thank you so much for listening. I would be so grateful if you would tell a colleague about this podcast. It really helps me spread the word, which is important to me, and I would appreciate it. Have a great week, and I will see you next Thursday. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Integrative Palliative Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Palliative Medicine. If you find value in this podcast, please do two things for me. Number one, share with a colleague. This is how we spread the word and I really need your help. And number two, please do leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It would really mean the world to me. You can find me at integrativepalliative.com and also on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Come find me, reach out, send me an email and come check out on the website, our upcoming physician training programs. It's been great to have you here and I'll see you next Thursday.